Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host, Schneer Zalman Newfield. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Ken Shep about his debut children's book titled A Gift of Feathers, published by Firewall and Friends in 2023. Ken Shep received his MFA from Columbia University, enjoyed a successful career as a journalist and business writer, and now writes children's books and literary fiction. I'm so glad his book has brought him to our program. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Salman. Thank you very much for the opportunity to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. So to get started, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to write this book? Sure. Happy to. Uh, my background is that I have been writing my whole life. As you mentioned, I, I, I did get an MFA, but, and I went that really intending to write fiction. And basically, I didn't. I wrote everything but fiction. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time uh, writing business journalism. Uh, my specialty became um, retail. Um, I wrote a lot of uh, business reports. My specialty was brands, and I worked for nonprofits. I worked for an organization called the American Jewish Committee. I did work for for that organization. At some point, I thought, hmm, if I'm actually going to do something, I should, I, I really need to do it. You know, there's only <laughs> so much runway here. <laughs> and about 10 years ago, I started to write short stories and I started to write novels. And I did not really intend to write a children's book. The children's book happened. Uh, because uh, I had an idea based on my mother, who lived to be 99. And it was uh, after her death, when I found some time and had this idea, that I began to write this book. Right. And before we get into the details Mm -hmm. of of the book that we're going to discuss today... I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your writing process. So you 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 say that um, at least part of your literary focus is on adult fiction, and then right. here you wrote a children's book. Uh, right. What is the the writing process like for you? And in particular, is it different for you if you're working on a children's book or you're working on something intended for an uh, you know more mature audience? That's an interesting question. I actually hadn't thought about it. I think um, 
Well, I think the process is somewhat the same. Before we had this conversation today, I spent most of the day uh, working on or revising a novel that I'd written. And I think that it's the same in this sense. Um, I like to write things that are personal. Um, I'm not spinning a lot of fantasies. I'm trying to connect to something that's emotional to me. And in the in the adult fiction, you know, I've written books that are sort of coming of age, and I'm I, I'm working on a book now that's really, I would say, being of age at the other end of life. Uh, what you encounter uh, when you're, as I said, there's less runway. Uh, and looking back, what 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 has your life been about? What have your relationships been about? That's. The children's book is the same in the sense that um, I'd like to deal with serious subjects. So this children's book, in a sense, is is about life and and death, and the process is uh, really um, a tremendous getting it all out, trying to get it out without a lot of um, a lot of editing, being as free as possible knowing that what you're putting down on the page the first time could be a really crap, <laughs> but, but giving yourself the freedom to really be as lousy as it takes to just get it out there and then to revise and revise and revise. So today I was working on a novel that I thought was done and dusted. And my issue is I, I'm having trouble finding a literary agent and I'm about to give this novel, which is 71,000 words, to a, a writer, who, an author who also does some, um, you know, literary consultation. And I thought, well, before I give it to him, let me really look it over. Huh. <laughs> and looking it over, I felt, wow, you know, this actually works because I hadn't read it in a year. So now I'm looking at it with new eyes. And I thought, well, that's not bad. I'm, I, I feel good at having written that. And then I came to some chapters and I thought, well, that really sucks. <laughs> not, not that it sucks. It's just, I'm not sure what I was intending to say there. That's not holding my interest. So I went back and it was frustrating. And I thought, what am I really trying to say here? Because it's disconnected with everything else I've been saying. And I thought, I think right before actually we began our conversation, um, I got to the point where I, I, I think I have that now. So if you connect that to writing the children's book, uh, the children's book was originally, um, it's a picture book. And it was much a much longer manuscript than a picture book requires. As you said, this is my first children's book. So I had written a 71,000 word manuscript. Now I'm going to write a children's book. How long is a children's book? <laughs> well, after I wrote the manuscript. I found out from the editor that a children's book is a thousand words. I had already written 71,000 words. So this has to be a piece of cake. I sent her the manuscript. She said, well, it's a little too long. It was 1,200 words. It ended up, I think, about 800 words. So in that sense, I think it's it's a really great complementary discipline 
because every word needs to needs to mean something. It needs to uh, reveal the character and move the plot and and move the reader emotionally. And you only have eight hundred words to do that. The difference with a children's book is that. Um, and I didn't know this, and this is what I learned having done this. If I'm writing a novel, I'm responsible for everything. I'm doing the scenery. I'm doing the dialogue. I'm making. I'm the. I'm doing the entire production. In a children's book, the scenery is really up to the illustrator. So that takes a lot of words out of it, and a lot of the description. And and so the children's book is more driven by um, the dialogue and a few stage directions. But I needed to take out all that I intuitively was used to putting in. What's the color of her hair? Where was the chair? How did she move? Who who waved her hand? All of that mostly disappeared. And and the wonderful surprise was that the illustrator took my words and gave back to me something that was from her imagination. Um, and, and, and some of it was much different than I would have uh, come up with. And by the way, the illustrator's name is Romina Galata, and she's really quite wonderful. Yeah. So I, I want to come back to the illustration in yeah. a little while, but because uh, once we talk a little bit about the plot of the story, but I am curious uh, just on a on a on a more um like a, a general level, I'm curious if having an illustrator in 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 some ways requires uh, author to give up some of the control that they they would have in an adult book, where as you say they're kind of stage managing everything. Suddenly, there you know is there a feeling or a, 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 a anxiety or something around giving up some of that control? Hey, someone else is going to be part of this this production. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> give up control what are you crazy uh, <laughs> yeah um yeah giving up control is not one of my favorite things i doubt if it I, is hear for an I hear you i mean i think being an author is a way for in my case i think it's probably true for a lot of writers to channel your uh obsessiveness so it doesn't drive the people you live with crazy <laughs> only it drives you crazy and then if you're lucky you can create something that uh, a piece of art so you've you know you've transformed your your mishigas your craziness into something that's useful to other people um and yes i think that uh i mean i guess in this case it did not it wasn't quite the same thing. I didn't react to it as if someone else were going to, uh, you know, talk about the writing. Uh, she, uh, Romina, brought talent and skills that I don't have. I, I, I didn't really uh, feel quite what I mean I would have expected to feel that um, resistance to giving up control 
but I honestly, I, I, I didn't. And it may be because, um, I couldn't do what she could do. Right. So you, you knew your own uh, talents and abilities and yeah, I and... needed that help. So in that sense, it was complimentary. Um, you know, which is um, which is nice. I, I mean, that's something that doesn't happen normally in my writing. I think it might be more akin to, you know, someone who's a playwright, where it's a the production requires people, uh, you know, a community of talents, and um, writing a novel typically, as far as I know, does not or not in the same way. Right, unless it's like co-authored, you know, which which sometimes happens, but that's a different kind of relationship, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Um. I, I'm curious. Um. Uh, do you read a lot of children, a lot of books for for children, or you really, um, you know, focus on adult on adult fiction? And and I'm curious yeah. if there if there are particular writers, either for children or adults who you feel inspire your own writing and your own creative process? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm never able to answer that question well, because the honest answer to that question is um, I don't read as much as I, I should, and should is the issue there. Um, I guess I could spin off some authors, but I, I, I don't have that on top of my head. In terms of you know, reading kids' books, when I realized that I was going to write this children's book, and then I wrote other manuscripts, thinking I'd write other children's books. And I wrote, for example, a, um, you know, a sequel to the, to the a Gift of Feathers, which I hope will be published. And it's the same characters again. But what I did was I spoke to my grandchildren who are phenomenal readers and writers and probably can give you a much more uh, comprehensive and intelligent answer to who they read <laughs> than I could give you. And I asked them because I was I I showed this manuscript and some other uh, children's story manuscripts, picture books to other editors of children's books. And the feedback I got was that, well, your sensibility might be for an older child. A picture book like this would really be probably for a kid who's three to seven, something like that. And to be written probably with an adult. And I was writing, like, as I said, I, I, I prefer, um, more complex characters and themes. And so then I, I was thinking, well, maybe I should be writing a book for middle grade or a young adult. So I did go to my grandchildren and they gave me some phenomenal titles, which I read. Uh, and then I started writing what I thought would be a middle grade or adult uh, novel. And now that novel is uh, about 65,000 words, which is longer than a typical young adult, which I think the sweet spot there, I, I'm not sure. I think it's more like 50 or 60,000 words. But also my problem there was uh, I, I, I was writing about a kid. First, he was going to be like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And then I was getting into um, subjects that required an older kid. I wanted to talk about 
issues of sexuality, coming of age. And so the kid kept getting older and older. Now he's 15, uh, which gave me a, a, a more latitude with what I wanted to write about. And also, I think I wrote myself out of the young adult genre in doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I may have another adult piece of adult fiction. Uh, but but uh, it did start out um, by thinking about what's the next child children's book that I want to write. And I do have a couple of other, as I said, manuscripts for children's books that, um, that I've sent out. So far, they've not been accepted by any publishers, but they're written. And plus this sequel to A Gift of Feathers, which I, I have, I'm optimistic will, would be, uh, you know, would be published. Right. I mean, I think from what you're saying, it sounds like, um, you know, that, that you start off with a certain idea of who the audience or the, you know, the age group that might be interested in the work is, but then the creative process could take all different unexpected directions and you could start a manuscript <laughs> or a story for children. And then it turns out it's really for adults yeah. or vice versa. I think that's true. I mean, I think that that's, you know, usually what happens if you if it works, then the characters start to take the book where it has to go, and and that's what happened in the case of a gift of a gift of feathers. I had a specific idea, uh, so I I knew these characters were going to weren't going to go any other place because I knew more or less where this book was going. Um, it didn't quite end up exactly where I initially ended it because the editor or the associate publisher, Liz Zabla, who's with uh, Fiwell and Friends, a Macmillan imprint, when she saw it, uh, she had some really good recommendations, including another beat at the end. And so I added that. And so, uh, but it was, it was different from what you're describing, uh, with, meaning that um, it wasn't characters who I set free and was going to watch where they were going. I had already had some pretty serious boundaries there because I had a pretty definite idea about the nature of the story. Right. Um, speaking of the story, could you summarize the plot of the book? Sure. Um, so... <laughs> The story is about um, two girls, young girls, uh, maybe eight years old, who are ultimately contending with the death of their grandmother. And the plot simply is that these two girls, they live in the country and their grandmother lives in the city. And in the country, they have a house where it, and some land where they're used to raising chickens. They actually have t 10 chickens. And since they're involved with that, they've even had a chicken. Recently, their, their favorite chicken has died, and they've, they've contended with that. And uh, they go to 
visit their grandmother in the city. And um, they're surprised that here in the city, their grandmother actually saves feathers, collects feathers. And they're wondering, well, where do you find feathers in the city? And she explains, well, what happens is I go for my walks. And every time I walk, I usually find a feather and then I, I save it. And she's got these vases of feathers all over her house. And she sits the girls down and says, uh, well, the reason I save these feathers, because as I get older, uh, they remind me of my parents. And it gives me a warm feeling my parents are looking out for me. And so uh, the girls understand that. And then she's, I guess she lets, uh, she lets them play with the feathers. It's a rainy day. They're going to make a mess. And it was, they can play with the feathers. So they spread the feathers all over the floor. And they decide to count them. They count them that there are 99. And grandma says, oh, 99, just like me. Next year, you'll come back. It'll be my 100th birthday party. And then everything switches. It's a year later. They come back, and they're coming back for grandma's funeral. And then the rest of the book is about grandma's funeral and how they understand grandma's death. And ultimately, the book becomes about um, the finality of death and the eternity of memory, because the girls take this uh when they go back home right after the funeral, find a feather in their yard, which typically is littered with feathers because they have chickens. But they find these two really special white feathers and they save them. And then once a year, their father lights a candle to memorialize his mother in a, in a Jewish ritual uh, called Yartzeit. And the girls, every time their father whispers a prayer, hold their feathers up in the reflected light of the candle. And they've, they've learned how to, um, I guess, um, understand the death of their grandmother as a way to, uh, as, and through the feathers, to uh, remember her and what she meant in their lives. Right. So that's that's uh, sort of the plot and some of uh, what I intended the story to convey. Right. right. Well, thank you for that. Um, I'm curious, how did you come up with the idea of the feathers? What was there a particular well, inspiration? <laughs> well, the, yeah, I mean, some of this, I guess part of the story was there were certain things I made up and certain things that just happened. So the backstory to how this came about was that my own mother uh, lived to 99. She lived a very healthy life. And she was uh, like a, her main health problem in her 90s was that she broke her hip while she was at her exercise class. So she wow. was agile enough to go for a walk every day. And if she saw a feather, she could bend down and pick it up. And she collected them. And in her mind, it was actually her brothers looking out for her. So after she died, uh, 
on the first night that we had a, a shiva at our house, which is a gathering of friends in a, in a Jewish tradition, um, gathering friends and family to 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 um, just um, help the be present for the mourners. Well, on the way home, I found for, to this shiva, I found three feathers, beautiful wow. feathers, around the corner from my house. And wow. I, gave, <laughs> I have two siblings. I gave one to my brother, one to my sister, and I kept one. And I thought, hmm. And the, you know, the sidebar here is my mother would always tell me, tell my brother and sister and me, that she'd find these feathers. And I would be a bit skeptical, a bit rational, uh, you know, try to be as as supportive as I could be, but not really believe that these feathers had any greater significance. If she believed it, that's fine. But then I found the feathers. (laughs) And uh, so that, I mean, and then I thought, well, there's a story here. And I, I, I wrote something, I wrote some notes down pretty quickly. And I had, um, when I was at my mother's, on the day of the funeral, I mean, at the cemetery, my one of my granddaughters asked me a really smart question, of course. And I thought, oh, that's good. I'll park that in my head because uh, that's really interesting. And then when I went back to write the story, I could not remember her question. <laughs> I, we had a Zoom call. I asked her. I asked my son and my daughter-in-law. and No one could remember the question. So I, it freed me to sort of make up a story around a question or a lack of a question. And that's what happened. Um, so fundamentally, the feathers, the idea of the feathers, the grandchildren and the grandmother were there. That was my life. And the actual, you know, the, the, the plot is is based on that, but I, I would say expanded from that core. Right. And I guess, yeah. Sure. And uh, I'm curious to go back to Romina, the illustrator. Mm-hmm. What did you hope the illustrations of the book would convey to readers? Uh, in my mind, I was expecting characters that a, a grandma, grandma dot character that looked like my mother, looks nothing like my mother. But <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my mother was a much, um, I don't know, she's, she was uh, petite and sort of elegant looking. And this is a very comfortable, huggable grandma in the book. <laughs> And the same thing. I thought that the grandchildren, the grandchildren, would look like my grandchildren, and they look nothing like my grandchildren. And then, <laughs> you know, there were some spots where, um, I mean, there's one illustration that I would not have thought of, and it was really one of my favorites. Where, um, in other words, she highlighted things to illustrate that were not necessarily the things I would have highlighted. And one of the favorite illustrations of mine was just sort of a throwaway line in the book where 
the girls get to the city and one of the grandchildren's wondering out loud, you know, well, where do all these feathers come from in the city? And Ramina in the book has this uh, illustration, which is sort of an aerial view looking down from the point of view of two pigeons sitting on a ledge of a, of a building, of a, you know, a skyscraper looking down at the city. It was just wonderful. And so that that's a value of working with somebody who has, you know, imagination and skill and they see things slightly differently than you and really adds adds something. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um I'm curious, so you mentioned that in the book the the girls, the children um have a chicken, Estelle, and the chicken uh, 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 dies. I'm curious right. what you think of the relationship between the death of their beloved chicken, and then uh, sh- around uh, or shortly thereafter, right. the death of their grandmother. Right. I, I guess. I mean, in a sort of a, a literary uh, jargon sense, the chick- the death of the chicken foreshadows, you know, another death in the book. But I think uh, it's. It meant that the two grandchildren, who are Tallulah and Rhea, again, named after, I didn't change any names. I, I used the names and then asked permission of my grandchildren to use them. But I mean, I think it meant that the children um, were familiar with death in a really visceral way. I knew that they... I'd spoken to uh, my grandchildren. First of all, they really care for their chickens. They named originally named their chickens after Harry Potter characters. <laughs> they knew each chicken by its personality. They carried the chickens in their arms. These were like pets. These are egg-laying chickens. And so when a chicken died, it was meaningful to them. And they came up with their own rituals. They, they dug a hole, they buried the chicken. Sometimes they would write something on a piece of paper. Um, and so I, you know, that's, that's like everything that was in my head that needed to be reduced to maybe one sentence and an illustration. That's, but that sentence really had to be, carry all of that import. Um, but I think that's what the, um, that's, what the death of that chicken or the burying the chicken early in the book means. Right. And you mentioned that the book is really um, deals with, with death and especially with children or young, uh, uh, young people confronting death. And I'm curious, um, have you had conversations with children about death and how they um, interpret it, make sense of it, respond to it? I didn't do any research. I've had, you know, my wife and I raised two children, um, and I I know how they responded to uh, deaths. Um, and I know that, um, I know that some of the responses, um, were, uh, you know, the, I I knew I I could see from so from their behavior that they would 
that they were responding to a death. And then in this case, um, you know, I'd, I, I think I had spoken to my grandchildren, you know, when around the time that their chicken had died. But no, I did not go out of my way to talk to other children about death. I just used my own experience. Sure, sure. And speaking of your own experience, so you you mentioned that uh, in the story, the 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 son of 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 the the grandmother um, lights a candle uh, every year uh, to commemorate the passing of of his mother, right. and that's part of the Jewish tradition around uh, uh, death. Um, I'm curious if you think of this of your of your book as being you know a distinctly Jewish book or a distinctly Jewish story, or if it's really kind of a much broader in scope? I think the latter. I think it's a universal story. I think that the feelings are universal. The aspects of life and death are universal. I think it's told from a particular, um, you know, from a particular point of view. The characters happen to be Jewish and the rituals are Jewish. And perhaps the notion of um, of how death and life fit together are are maybe uh, from my background. So maybe maybe they're Jewish. Although I think there's probably um, not that I, I don't consider my myself an expert at all. I'm sure there's a, sort of a multiplicity of uh, points of view in the Jewish community. <laughs> However, <laughs> I mean, you, you've heard uh, that. You've heard people have said this. You, you, uh, having said that, you've heard own, you've heard tell. Yeah, my own take on it is that um, you know, in the Jewish faith, uh, the the body is disposed of pretty quickly, as quickly as possible, uh, because uh, that's not really the person. That's, I guess, the vessel that carried the person, and so that person remains with us in our memories and in the legacy of that person and in maybe our responsibility to carry on that legacy in the in the in the good works that we bring into the world and in that sense i think maybe there's a a, a jewish point of view I think dealing with the with the subject and the feelings is very universal. Right, right, and um, uh, I'm curious. Uh, you, you, the the book really um, deals with with issues of of uh, ritual and tradition as well as family. And I'm curious: are there particular traditions that you associate with your own family story? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say um, the idea, I mean, around, that's a really good story. I'm sort of caught to, to think of a, of a tradition because I don't, I think, we, I, I do think ritual is important. Um, I'm just thinking in terms of my own mother's death. Um I think there are some rituals that I kept. There are some that I didn't. I mean, in a, in a, in a, from a Jewish point of view, one would say Kaddish for a year, a special prayer 
every day to memorialize the person to, to, to and I think to psychologically um, work through um, that morning, long morning period. I didn't do that. So, uh, but I, but I, but I did other aspects, meaning I've said Kaddish on particular holidays. Um, so I, I, I would have to say that um, for me, the traditions that are important to me are a combination of traditions from my background being a Jew and my background as being an American. I, I mean, we just, as we're, as we're uh, having this conversation, we're just past Thanksgiving, which is one of my favorite t- traditions um, and everything that that means. Um, so I, I value traditions like that to me, you know, um, separately, I once wrote something called America's Table, which is, I hoped to uh, to create into uh, a ritual that uh, used Thanksgiving as a way to uh, ritualize the the um, the celebration of America as a welcoming place for 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 everybody. Uh, it, but just in terms of rituals, one curious thing is that I do have a ritual that happened as a result of this book or it may be an obsession or maybe a little <laughs> little craziness but i keep i keep finding feathers <laughs> and so i i have feathers i saved them i've got a step further than my mother maybe because i'm a writer so i not only save the feathers she put them in a vase and then they became anonymous feathers I try to write down, where did I find this feather? What was I thinking about at the time? Because to me, the the idea of a feather as it connects to this is that when I find one, it stops time for me. I'm thinking, once I see it, I'm thinking of my mother. And then I'm saying, what am I thinking about right now? What am I feeling? And so I think that it... It, it sort of um, it, it that ritual, which I think is part of um, uh, death. It uh, dealing with death. It makes us more attuned to life. That's you know uh, that's something that is uh, a positive that can come out of death, and through this ritual of finding feathers, it makes me more attuned to. Uh, you know, just I hate, I know this is uh, 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 very uh, something that we say now, but being in the moment, I'm not always in the moment, ever always in the moment. But when I find a feather, I'm in that moment. <laughs> right, right. Well, that is something very special. <laughs> yeah. um, um, uh, there's uh, the, the book is is really just so beautiful, and there's a lot more that we could talk about, but we're going to run out of time. Sure. So let me ask you one last question: um, What do you hope young readers will take away from your book? I hope that uh, young readers uh, would be able to come away from the book. Um, feeling a sense of comfort if they're if they're really in a period where they're facing uh 
uh, some period of grief. Um, and I guess uh, not sad. I hope they don't come away sad, but just feeling comforted and maybe um, a little brave about um, and happy to be alive. Right. Well, that's a beautiful, a beautiful uh, uh, message to take away. Um, on that note, a very positive note, uh, thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us today. Uh, Solomon, thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Time went very quickly. Thank you for your questions. That concludes our program. Thanks for listening and have a great day.